0: One of the fundamentals in football is the handoff, right? A quarterback is going to take this ball and he's going to, to put this ball in the belly of the running back. And the running back, his goal is to find an open hole. It's the quarterback's responsibility to get the ball to him. And in this, this handoff, obviously the ultimate goal is that this running back can make yards and the game is going to be won. This morning, I want to talk with you about a handoff, but I don't mean a handoff that you might watch in a game of football that might lead to a state championship or to a a win at the Super Bowl. I want to talk to you about the handoff that will matter for all of eternity, about the handoff that's going to affect generations to come, long after you and I have been put in the ground. If the Lord tarries, that's what I want to talk to you about. There's a lot here to think about for dads and for granddads, for men in general, really for all of us. We need men and women of faith, men and women who will see the gravity of our current situation and who will be serious about passing on the faith that was delivered to us to the next generation. We'll be serious about that handoff, that there will be men and women who will contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This morning we'll be in Joshua chapter 4. At this point in time, you'll remember that God's people had lived in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God called up a deliverer, Moses, and through a series of miracles, Moses, by God's hand, led the people out of Egypt. It was an incredible scene. There the Red Sea was before God's people, and God in his great power and might opened up the Red Sea and his people crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. And here comes the Egyptians, and God allowed the waters to come back over them in an exercise of his judgment against their sinfulness and their hard-heartedness. And God rescued his people in a miraculous way, and he began to provide for them in a supernatural way. But what did his people do? They grumbled and complained. Ultimately, they would not trust him To to conquer and to lead them into the promised land, to conquer the peoples that were there. And because of their lack of faith and their disobedience, they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And God said that the wicked generation who refused to trust him and to follow him would die. They would not be allowed to enter the promised land. But instead, the younger generation would be raised up and God would lead them into the promised land. Now, at this point in time, God's people, Israel, are about to begin the conquest. They are just east of of the Jordan River. And they're about to go into uh, Canaan and begin to fight and to take over that land that God had promised to them. You can imagine what would be going through your heart and mind if you were on the precipice of battle. Be a lot of anticipation, and honestly, there'd be fear. Moses is dead. God has raised Joshua up to lead the people. And at this point in time, God is going to make his hand known in a great way in the midst of his people. In many ways, he's, he's helping them gain trust in him so that they can go in and conquer this land that he's calling them to conquer. So here they are, east of the Jordan, and they're going in. And what does God say? Don't worry about the Jordan. I got that. You don't have to try to find a bridge. You don't have to find a way. I got it. Just like I had the Red Sea. Let's look together briefly at Joshua 3, beginning in verse 16, referring to the waters of the Jordan. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Areba, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho, Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So what you see here is a miracle. God parts the Jordan like he had parted the Red Sea a a generation or so before. Now let's continue in Chapter 4. Again, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are going to cover a lot of the same uh, ground, but chapter 4 is going to have a different emphasis. Beginning in verse 1. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe of man, and, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask you in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And let's skip down to verse 18. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters Of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks just as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? then you shall let your children know. Israel. Passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters on the Jordan for you. Until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's reflect On this passage a bit, before we jump into the outline, notice that God has instructed Joshua to get 12 men, one from each tribe. This emphasizes the unity of the nation of Israel. It was made up of of 12 different tribes, but in essence, it was one people. It was the people of God. In verse 5, we see that the ark would, would be brought into the Jordan. Now, the ark represented the presence of God. This held the the covenant that God had made with His people, the Ten Commandments and, and other items which were significant in the life of the people. And it represented the fact that God's people were going with Him. They were not going it alone. It is clear that God intended for this entire event for the purpose of strengthening the faith of coming generations. This was meant to be a sign. To, to use uh, uh, what we see in verse 6. This is meant to be a sign. God could have used any number of ways to get his people on the other side of the Jordan. But God does this to strengthen the faith of his people. To remind his people that he's with them. That, that he's taking care of them. And you see there at verse 7. That these stones that would be taken were meant to be a memorial. That is a reminder. A reminder of God's faithfulness in the lives of his people. Notice in verse 18 that the river began to flow again. And those waters that were heaped up began to to move ahead once the soles of their feet were lifted up. This was no accident. Now, God could have used some natural occurrence to cause this. We don't know how that played out. But one thing's for sure, we know that God was in charge and sovereign over this event. God was, God's timing is evident and clear. In verse 19, notice this is the 10th day of the first month. You know what's significant about that date? That's the very date that God said to his people when they were enslaved in Egypt, I want you to take a Passover lamb, and I want you to prepare that lamb because I'm about to rescue you. And now here we are some 40 years later, and that rescue that God had promised is complete. They've been delivered from slavery, and God is bringing them indeed into the promised land that, that he had. Uh, Uh, had promised so many years before to Abraham and of course to his people when they were in Egypt you see in this passage this emphasis over and over again about the idea that the faith needs to be passed from this generation to the next this emphasis upon instructing and teaching and leading the children in the things of faith so as we think through this passage we see three reasons for handing off the great truths of God's glory. We see three reasons for handing off the great truths of God's glory. First, hand off the great truth of God's glory so the whole world will know of His greatness. So the whole world will know. Look in verse 24. What does the passage say? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. You see, God was doing a great work with his people, but he wanted his name to be made great in all of the world. Now, we know that what happened here that day at the Jordan had a tremendous impact on the surrounding peoples. We see that in in Joshua 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel... Until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. You see, God used this event to to show his might, but it also points to something else. It points to the fact that God's desire is that the peoples of the world might know Jesus and might one day be around the throne worshiping him and glorifying him. We see that in God's very earliest work. When God called Abram, or uh, later Abraham, to follow him, he made a promise to, to Abraham that he would bless all the nations of the earth through him. We see that in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Fast forward to the New Testament, and we see Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew five thirteen. this is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. Picking up in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying God's intent for his people is that we might be salt and light, that we might point the way to him, that we might live lives that point to him. It's the same idea that you see here. God's intent is that his name is made great all around the world. All around the world. This is meant to be worked out in the context of Christian community as well, in the context of the local church. Consider John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is soon going to be crucified and he's praying before he goes to the cross. Consider this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So here Jesus is. He's teaching his disciples. He's going to pray for them, and he's going to go to the cross. What does Jesus say? One of the ways, one of the primary ways that people out there are going to see that this here, what's happening in your heart is real, this vertical is real, is by what happens here in the family of faith. It's when you love one another that puts the reality of the gospel on display for a watching world. So God's desire over and over throughout Scripture... Is that the people of God be distinct, that the people of God live lives that reflect their relationship with Him? They love one another, they're committed to one another, so that people can see who He is, who He is. If you go to New York City today, there's no doubt that World Trade Center One, also known as the Freedom Tower, is going to stand out. It's the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. You can go to the 911 memorial, and it's a, a breathtaking scene. It's not a little plaque on a little stone somewhere in the corner. No, it's meant to be powerful. And World Trade Center 1 is meant to be a monument to say, we will not be overtaken. And that memorial is meant to say, we will not forget. This is so important. It matters. What happened matters. We want the coming generations to know. And here, those of us who know God, who have a relationship with God, are meant to be like monuments who point people to the reality of the gospel, who point people to the reality of God's greatness and of his glory. So if you know Jesus, Please hear me say this. Don't let these be words that I just say and they they fall from your ears. Please hear this. If you know Jesus, you've been entrusted with the gospel. That's an incredible responsibility that we have. It's life-changing. It changes eternity. The question is, will we be responsible with this great trust that we've been given? Will we understand the, the gravity of this? And will we run our leg of the race faithfully? So you and I need to pray for the spread of the gospel. We need to be serious about praying. We need to be serious about giving for the spread of the gospel. We need to, to give that, that people might go, but we also need to be willing to go. We need to be willing to go if God so calls us. Short-term mission trips, which we hope to offer soon. A group right now will be going to Peru soon. But some of you, God may call for longer. Some of you, instead of retiring and just sort of, you know, hanging out, maybe some of you are gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna take my retirement years and I'm gonna go somewhere for the good and for the good of people and the the spread of the glory of God. I'm going to begin to give my life to this cause because it matters. And all of us who know Jesus need to live in the here and now for the spread of the gospel. Your life is is ultimately, if you know Him, it's about making God's glory known. It's not about having a nice house or a good car or good vacations. Those things can be a blessing, can be a hindrance sometimes too. But your life, sir, your life, ma'am, if you belong to Him, is about making His name great. It's about making him known. And wow, in these times we desperately, desperately need men who will understand this and who will step up and say, you know what? I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to understand the call of God and I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to just put it on coast. I'm not going to trust that other people will carry the weight. I'm going to hear the call of God and I'm going to get in the action because I understand that future generations are at stake that God's glory in the whole of this globe is at stake. Ah, we need men who will take off, who will get in the game. We need men who will make the handoff. We need men who will pass the ball faithfully, who will run their hearts out, and who will pass the ball faithfully. So we've seen that the, the handoff of the truths of the faith are critical so that the world will know of the greatness of God. Second, Hand off the great truth of God's glory so your children will know Him and follow Him. So that your children will know Him and follow Him. Look in verse 6. Joshua says, you set those stones up and then when your kids say to you, hey, Daddy, why are those stones piled up like that? You tell them. You tell them why. Notice in verse 6, the Scriptures say, What do these stones mean to you? There's something very personal about this. What do these stones mean to you? In other words, what meaning do they have in your life? This is not just truth that's out there. This is truth that's meant to matter right here for all of us. And so these kids are saying, what does it mean? And Joshua says, you tell them what this means. You tell them of the great work of God and the lives of his people. You tell them. Your children of his might. You tell your children of his faithful covenant love for his people. You make him known to your children. Look in verse 21. Again, Joshua says, and he's reviewing here, there's a reason for that because a lot of the times we're forgetful. In fact, this whole episode implies that one of the greatest distractions or one of the greatest issues in our faith is that we are forgetful. Then we forget how God has worked in our own lives. We forget the great truths of his word. But he says in verse 21, when your children say, what do these stones mean? You let your children know. There's something intentional here. You make sure that you're instructing your children. Now notice he doesn't say, parents, take your children to church or to synagogue No, parents, he says, you. You let them know. You see, from a biblical perspective, parents have the primary responsibility of passing that ball to the next generation. Now, all of us who know him are responsible, but when it comes to children, dads, the ball's in your hands. Are you going to fumble? Or is it going to be a good handoff? Are yards going to be gained because of your commitment? because of your commitment to, to, to hand off that ball and t- to make some yards for the glory of God and for the good of your kids and ultimately for eternity. He says, you let your kids know about God's faithfulness in the lives of his people and God's might and God's might. Now, this isn't strange in Scripture. In Exodus 12, verse 26 the scriptures say, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And, and this was talking about the Passover. When, when you gather with your, your family and you observe the Passover, in verse 27, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So we see in the Passover another opportunity to be intentional in passing on the faith. What does it tell us? It tells us that we too, like the Jews, had responsibility to pass on the faith. We have that responsibility too. Has God given us anything like the Passover meal today? Well, baptism and the Lord's Supper are opportunities to remember the sacrifice of God. So when we observe the Lord's Supper, parents, it's a great opportunity for you to say, Hey, you know what this means? This means that Jesus died on a cross, and a cross is not a decoration on a wall. Ultimately, a cross is the throne where the Son of God took the full wrath of God upon himself, and he made a way by his blood for us to be made right with God in all of his holiness and all of his splendor. And so the the Lord's Supper and baptism is an opportunity for us to do this very thing, to, to reflect and to think on how God has moved and how we can Use those opportunities to teach our little ones. In Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, Joshua is nearing the end of his life. He is about to die. There has been much conquest and much land conquered. And Joshua says to the people, I'm about to be gone. And now you, it's on you to decide. Let's look together at verses 14 and 15. Now, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. What had Joshua decided? Joshua had said, and he made it known to all of the people, you may chase after all of these other gods, and if you want to do that, then you do that. But you know, you know for a fact that when it comes to me and when it comes to these that I'm responsible for, we're going to serve God. Now, we need some men in churches who will stand up and say, you know what, I'm not playing games. This is who I am. I mean this. It's going to matter in my life. It's going to matter in the lives of my family. It's going to matter in the lives of our church. We don't need men who just set it on cruise. No, we need men of God. Men of God who are serious about the handoff. Men of God who do not want to see the ball fumbled for the good of the next generation. But men who understand the need to win. The need to win this game. Because it's a game that matters. We see a great example of this in 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. Uh, he's pastoring in Ephesus, has responsibility for that faith family, for that congregation. And in, in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul wrote to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you. Now this is a beautiful picture. Grandma takes the hand off and gets the ball to mom. And mom takes the ball, takes the hand off, and she gets the ball to Timothy. What I want you to see is this is a picture of how it's supposed to work. Now in this situation, uh, mom and grandma were, were faithfully handing off the ball. and Thank God for them. We need to see some men who will be willing to do this as well. And when you look at uh, cable television systems or networking or electronics telephone systems, uh, wired telephone systems, there's a phenomenon called attenuation. And basically, this this is what it means. If here's the source of your signal, as the line travels away from the source... Uh, something called attenuation happens, and basically this is what it's like. If this is the source, the signal, let's say over a cable uh, TV system, the more that it travels away from the source, the signal becomes weaker and weaker and weaker, or it attenuates, if you will. And so what you have to do is you have to come, you have to put something like a repeater over here so that, that the repeater will receive a signal, and it'll amplify it, and it'll send it on again. And what we have to recognize, brothers and sisters, that if we're not careful when it comes to the handoff, our faith will become less and less meaningful in the lives of our children. Unless we're intentional, unless we're serious about uh, about amplifying the faith. How do we amplify the faith? We live it. We don't let it be something casual where we do every now and then on a Sunday. We allow it to grip our lives all the time. You see, when, when you're sitting at home and, and someone calls, maybe from work, and your kid answers the phone, and you say to them, tell them I'm not here. What does that teach your children? What does it teach them about your commitment to God? But then you go to Sunday, uh, you go to church on Sunday, and you learn about, do not lie, we don't need to lie. But then, remember Tuesday when that happened? Parents, it's not that we're going to be perfect. I just want to help us see that if kids are going to get it, if that signal's going to be amplified and maintained, if it's not going to attenuate and shrink down and disappear, it's going to be because it's real in our lives all the time. All week long. It's got to be real. It's got to be meaningful. It's got to move us. It's got to push us. Now is the time to pass on the truth of God's word to the, to the children, to the grandchildren, to the coming generations? I wonder what will your children remember most about you, Dad? Will they remember that you were passionate about work? That you gave your all? Will they remember that you were really serious about sports? That you coached and you were there. I mean, you were, you were right there and you were, always, man, you were tuned in. Will they remember that you're passionate about fishing or golf? Now, none of these things are bad. <laughs> they're good things. They're, they're things that can be a blessing. But, Dad, will they remember that you really, really, really love Jesus and that you loved him with all your heart and that he drove your decisions? Perfect? No. None of us can live up to that. But that you really strive to love him and to follow him. You see, sir, your life is going to be a monument to something. The question is what? We need daddies and mamas, too, who'll be serious about training children in the faith, who'll be serious about modeling it and teaching it. And we know there are no guarantees Every child ultimately will be responsible before God for themselves. And it could be that you model the faith, that you teach the faith, and that your kid walks away from the Lord. We, we don't have a guarantee. This is a fallen world where things are broken. But I'll tell you what, we want to do everything that's in our power to make the handoff so that if the ball's fumbled, it's not on you. You want to get that ball in the belly of that running back so he can take off and move, so they can win the game. We don't know. But we better be faithful. We better do our part. So we've seen that we want to hand off the truth of God so that, so that our children will know him and love him. Third, we want to hand off the great truth of God's glory so that coming generations, after we're all dead and gone, will know him and follow him. Look in verse 24. Notice at the end of the verse, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You here is plural. Joshua's talking about the people of Israel. He's saying so that God's people, the people of Israel, will fear him. That is, walk with him in, in reverence Forever. So what's Joshua saying? Your goal is not just that your children follow God. Your goal is that their children and their children and their children, and the list could go on and on and on, are faithful. That's that's what Joshua's saying here. We want the coming generations to know the truth of the gospel. Now, Paul wrote, I mentioned his writing to Timothy earlier, as as a young pastor pastoring the church at Ephesus. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, Paul wrote, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What's Paul saying to Timothy? He's saying, You guard this sound teaching that I've given you, you guard the gospel. Timothy, you hold it and you make the hand off. Be serious. You don't sense any levity in what Paul is saying here. We know that there are all kinds of attacks from outside, but there are all sorts of attacks from within the church as well. And we must guard the gospel. We must guard the teaching of the Lord's word, and we must be serious about that. We must be committed to that. In Hebrews 11 the author of Hebrews presents us all of these great Old Testament saints whose, whose faith is a model for our own. And in Hebrews eleven four, 4, the writer of Hebrews mentions Abel. Now, you remember Abel. This was one of Adam and Eve's sons. So we're all the way back to the beginning of time. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel made an offering to the Lord. Abel's offering was pleasing to God. Cain's wasn't. Cain got mad. He killed Abel. And listen in verse 4 to Hebrews, uh, the, the author of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith. Though he died, he still speaks. What a beautiful picture. Abel was at the beginning of time. Here we are thousands of years later. And though he's dead and though he's been gone for all of these years, his face still teaches us. He still speaks. We need men whose lives will far outlive them. We need women whose lives will far outlive them. Who after you've been dead and gone for decades, yes, hundreds of years if the Lord tarries that it will be said your life still speaks. Perhaps no one knows your name, but it'll speak because you had an impact in this person's life and that person had an impact in this generation and in this generation. We can't trace all of that out. We'll never understand all of that. But may it be said of us that our lives still speak for the good of the coming generations. And we look at great ancient monuments. Think of the pyramids of, of Egypt, and they tell us uh, about the culture at that time. They tell us a little bit about what they believed about their leaders and, and the afterlife. Or the Colosseums in Rome. They tell us about what mattered in the first century to the Romans. Or the Great Wall of China. We, we see a bit about what was happening in the peoples who lived there, what they, what they believed in, and what they thought about. Men and women, our lives tell a story. Our lives are a monument to something. The question is what will your life point to? What will ultimately be said of you? And what will ultimately be the impact of your life in the coming generations? We need men and women who understand the weight of that and who are serious about answering the call of God no matter the cost. No matter what it means. Because I believe in the days ahead, the cost is going to get higher. If we stay faithful to this book, the cost is going to get higher. Will we be willing to pay or will we go along to get along? I believe God is calling men and women who will say, I'll be faithful to the Word of God. I'll stack these stones and I'm going to tell my children, I'm going to tell them what they mean. I'm going to live it in my own life. I'm going to put the faith on display in my own life so they can see it's real. But I'm willing to pay the cost so that that ball is handed off to the next generation. What impact, sir, will your life have made when you're gone? Man, when you take that final breath, what difference 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years will your life have made? God's plan is that we take the hand off of faith and we run our hearts out and then we take that ball and we put it in the hands of another who will run their hearts out. That's God's plan, that there'll be no attenuation, that this, this faith won't be disappearing or dissipating, but that we'll give it our all till the very end, till we take our final breath. You see, the world is telling you this life is all about you. Do what you want. Do what you enjoy. Do what, what thrills you. But the word is Saying to you and to me, it's not about you at all. It's about God and His plan and His plan to take the faith and to get it in the hands of the next generation. You see, the next generation is more important than I am. It's more important than you are. No, I know that's not what the world says. The world says, make it all about you. But that's not the message of this book. It's not the message of this book. The decisions that you're making today are going to impact generations to come in untold ways and ways that we can never even know. Eternity. Please hear me feel the weight of this. Eternity's in the balance. This isn't my opinion, your opinion stuff. This isn't convenient or inconvenient or, well, some super Christian. No, this is the Christian life. Eternity hangs in the balance. Will we be faithful? Will we be the men and the women that God has called us to be? So you're in the game. God is calling you to hand off your faith to the next generation. Why do we want to hand off the great truths of the Word of God? So that the whole world will see who He is so that our children are going to know Him and follow Him, and so that the generations to come, they're going to know the great truths of the gospel and be committed to Him and follow Him. So today, I plead with you, decide that by the grace of God, that in His strength, that you're going to make your life from this moment on Even if perhaps you're nearing the end of your life and you're saying, well, there's not a lot ahead. I could be nearing the end of my life too, you know. I I could be gone this afternoon, this evening. All of us could. But from this moment on, let's decide that we're going to do everything we can to pass that ball to the next generation, to live a life that pleases Him, to be faithful to the Word, to be faithful to tell others about the love of Jesus. So when it comes to eternity... And the next generation, will your life be a landmark or will it be a loss? Will your life be a handoff or will it be a fumble? Will it be about you or will it be about the glorious gospel? Will it be about the glory of God? May our lives be a monument of mission, a monument of mission for the glory of God and for the good of our children and the coming generations and ultimately the good of all peoples around the world. I want to speak to you if you're here today and you've sort of been listening in. And by that, I mean maybe you're not a part of God's family. Perhaps you've never come to the place in your life where you've said to yourself, you know what? I've gone my own way and I don't want to go that way anymore. God, I'm turning away from my sin. I believe you sent your son to die on the cross, that he was buried, that he was raised again. And because of what Jesus did, I'm asking you to forgive my sins and and I want to follow you. When when we do that, when we turn from our sin, when we put our faith in Jesus and we put our lives in his hands, the Bible tells us that God saves us, that that he puts us in his hands and he'll never let us go. If you've never Come to Christ today, I plead with you and urge you. Don't live out there. Apart from Him, God is inviting you to become His very own son or daughter. You want a good, good father? Hey, the invitation's on the table. Today, today, I want you to understand you can have the very best of what this world has to offer, the finest that this world has to offer. But if you do not know Jesus, it's a vapor. It's a mist that's gone in a moment. And eternity is a long, long, long time to have missed a relationship with Christ. So today I plead with you, ma'am. I plead with you, sir. Would you turn and believe and become a part of his family? Today, would you discover that he is indeed a good, good father? Join me in prayer.